You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Uh, Glad to have you guys joining us. Rob made the mistake of letting me preach again. They keep doing this. I don't know why they do this, but you get to be blessed by this. Uh, So (laughs) anyway... Oh, we have fun. Well, we are starting our new series, The Partner That God Pursues. Uh, I'm pretty excited for this, actually, because this is kind of blending a little bit of what we did earlier this year with Genesis and also blending what we did with Experiencing God through the Lenten season and then also blending a little bit of Rob's Easter message from last week. And we're going to just keep on rolling with this. And I'm pretty excited for that. So, Uh, The reason that we wanted to do this series is we talked about experiencing God and we talked about living a resurrected life just last week. But what kind of person does God choose to partner with? Because if we're going to experience him, then there has to be an end goal of what, like, what do we want to do? And we finished that series by talking about obeying him. And if we're going to obey that, that implies that there's some sort of mission, which was our call to action for that entire series was to be on mission with Christ, to be on mission with God. So where do we go with that? What kind of person does God choose to partner with? Is that, is that me? Could that be me? Can I be that kind of person? These are the questions that we want to answer. This is the kind of question that I'm asking. What does God want to do with his partners? God has this this plan, this design. What is this design? He wants to bring about his kingdom. He wants to create shalom, bring about peace, right? Put the world back together. These are phrases that we've used before. He wants to reassemble things and bring it back into peace. Bring it back into order. What is God going to use to do that? So if we partner, if I partner with God in this mission to create peace, what's he going to, what, what are the building blocks, right? What are the building blocks that we're going to use as we work with God to build something together, to build his kingdom here? A little spoiler alert. um, These building blocks that we're going to look at A lot of them might sound really familiar to you if you've been around Mission Ridge for a while. That's all I'm going to say about that. We'll let you figure that out. So let's introduce our hero, the hero of our story, because every good story's got a hero, right? So previously in Genesis, we did chapters one through 11 earlier this year. If you want, you can go back and review those. They're all on our our podcast that you can listen to those sermons. But the next thing that we, we left off with the Tower of Babel, and then we pick up our story here, for this partner that God pursues with this hero of Abram or Abram. I'm probably going to bounce between those two because I've heard it both ways and I can't be consistent. You've been warned. So Abram is this, uh, this character that God decides to partner with. And, and he eventually becomes Abraham, as many of you probably are more familiar with the name. And this is the hero of the story for a sizable chunk of Genesis. Okay, this is the person that God partners with. So I want you to do something for me. I want you to think of your favorite hero, your superhero. 
Uh, maybe it's Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, The Flash, Aquaman. Who knows? Think of your favorite hero, though. <clears throat> and then think about what sort of journey they go on. What sort of progression do they go through? What are their origins, maybe? How do they change over time? What's their journey? And what causes them to grow? That's important. What causes that hero to grow? Let's get into the story of Abraham. We're going to pick this up in Genesis 11, chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Avram and Nahor took wives. The name of Avram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. So they were introduced to this family and it's an odd genealogy. We're going to talk about this a whole lot more in footnotes, but it's an odd genealogy <clears throat> that we are introduced to here. Avram is someone who is willing to take on a wife who is barren. Because this is something that we want to pull out of this, this little passage that we went through, right? So Avram takes a wife and we're told it's very, very specific. It makes a big deal about Sarai being barren. This is a huge deal. Avram either knew, the reason that I say that he took on a wife, Avram either knew that he took her, at, before he took her as a wife, or he would have found out eventually that she was barren and it would have been probably socially acceptable for him to ditch her. Because if you can't reproduce, if you can't have children that are going to carry on your family name, what good is that? In that culture, that's your barren is bad. <clears throat> and Avram is the eldest son. He should be having, he should be carrying on the family line. This is a problem. But for some reason, Avram is a really stand-up dude. And he takes on this barren wife. And we're going to talk about that a whole lot more in footnotes. So tune into that if you're interested. Uh, if you're looking for that, you can check out our Facebook page. And we post that in the middle of the week. So go hit like on that. Then you'll be able to find it. There's a shameless little plug there. <clears throat> Avram's family was also moving towards Canaan. This is an important aspect of this story. We should, we should cue in on this. Now, <clears throat> if you're just joining us, you might, not, you might not catch this because we talked about this when we were talking about Genesis 1 through 11, a little bit of this idea of moving east is to move away from God's will and to move west is moving back towards God. This is a literary technique that they use in Genesis. This is something that the Old Testament when we see this east, west, it's a, a different way of storytelling that we sometimes miss in our 21st century American culture. But now you know. So moving west towards 
Canaan, especially coming right after Babel, where everybody was moving east, away from God, to make a name for themselves. Moving west towards Canaan might be an important aspect. But they end up settling, which if we remember from Babel, settling might not be a good thing, right? So this family ends up settling in Haran. And we're going to talk about what maybe some theories about why they do that um, also in footnotes. But the things that I really want to cue in on here are this family is nomadic, a.k.a. they don't necessarily set down roots, which is a reoccurring problem that God is trying to get his people out of. They're moving west towards God, and they might be a little different than the normal culture because Abram is willing to take on and love and have only one wife that's barren to forgo that option. That's a little different from the culture that we expect to see. So let's continue to look at what happens next with Abram. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Avram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Avram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Avram took Sarai, his wife and Lot, his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan and they went to the land of Canaan. Avram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the Oak at Moriah. At the time the Canaanites were in the land. Remember that Rob's going to talk that more next week. Uh, might tie in, might be a thing. Then the Lord appeared to Avram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord again and called upon the name of the Lord. And Avram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. So a couple of things to notice here that we for sure want to pick up on. Avram is willing to leave his position or inheritance when God calls him. We talked about experiencing God and responding to God and hearing God and obeying God. This is a pretty great example of this. God says, leave your family you guys have settled, you've put down roots in Haran and you are the, you're the Behor, you're the eldest, you're going to take all of this and you're going to carry on the family name, even though you don't have kids yet, like this would be his position. He's going to become top dog. And God says, give all that up. Give all that up. I have something for you. Give all of that up. And Avram does it. It's crazy. This is a big deal. God tells Avram, I will give your offspring this land. Now, if we're concerned about settling and God doesn't want his people to settle, when God gives Avram this land, we might be a little worried. <clears throat> As part of our heroes, like our hero, he's being tempted here, maybe. This is a test. 
Is he going to, like, if I receive, if somebody gives me some land, I'm going to be like, well, I have this land. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to settle down. This is the land that God is going to give me for my offspring. It's mine. I'm going to settle. But Avram doesn't do that. Instead, he builds an altar to God, which when you compare this to the Babel story, it's kind of it's interesting because they build a tower to make a name for themselves and Avram builds a tower, granted, probably not a big tower, an altar to make a name for God and to lift up God's name. Huh. Avram's doing pretty good here. Our hero's like, he's killing it. Chewing bubble gum and taking names. He's all out of bubble gum. Abram then continues to move around and he does another altar and he still doesn't settle and he continues to move. Like he's not settling. This is looking really good for our hero. <clears throat> Total winner. He's willing to sacrifice. He's not settling. Let's see where he continues. We pick it up in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Even though that wouldn't necessarily be a great thing. They're going to say, So here's what we're going to do. We're going to say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. Sneaky. When Avram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Now she's pretty old. She must have been a looker. Shoot dang. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Uh Uh-oh. And for her sake, he dealt well with Avram. All right, but still not great. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Hmm. Hmm. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Avram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Dude, what, what are you doing? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. I'm tired of these plagues. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Uh Uh-oh. Our hero has hit a rough patch. Avram is hit with this, this trial, this famine in the land. And logically, what does everyone do when there's a famine? You go find food. You're hungry. Makes sense. I don't blame him. The place that always has food is Egypt. Egypt is always fertile. It doesn't matter how bad the drought gets. Egypt always, the Nile always floods. Egypt always has food. It's the fertile crescent. Okay. So you go to the place that has food and Avram does this, but God didn't tell him to do that. And maybe that doesn't quite sound like 
trusting God to provide for you. Hmm. Avram goes to Egypt, okay? And there's the danger that he's going to be killed so that they can steal Sarai, his wife, because she's, it's a problem. So not only is he not trusting God to provide, he's also going to Egypt and it's going to be dangerous. And he comes up with this plan to protect her, to protect him. He's going to be sneaky. Oh man, this doesn't sound good. This sounds like, this sounds like if we were watching this movie, we'd be like, no, don't do it. Right? It's had the added benefit of all of these guys that want to court his sister, his father's daughter. Remember that. Rob's going to talk about that next week. That'll tie in. His father's daughter, who's not really his sister, right? All these people are going to give him things so that they can get a little time with Sarai and maybe, maybe, you know, win the love game, if you will. Which, to be fair, is a pretty crafty plan. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Other than Pharaoh decides he wants her and takes her. Uh-oh. There's one guy in the land that Avram can't turn down. It's Pharaoh. This is a problem. But Avram gets all this stuff. And then God shows up and kind of makes some lemonade out of the lemons that Avram has placed out here. Avram ends up leaving with tons of stuff. Makes off pretty well. Doesn't lose his head. No one dies. But as we see in these upcoming chapters, this mistake of going to Egypt and lying and bringing part of Egypt out with you, it has consequences. Very real consequences that are going to play out over the course of the story. But let's get back to our idea of who, what does this all mean about who God partners with? Remember when I asked you at the beginning to think of your favorite hero? What sort of journey they go through, their origin, how they change, what causes them to grow? What causes them to grow? Maybe you thought of Spider-Man. Spider-Man starts off as a nerdy kid. Maybe doesn't really fit in too well. He gets chosen, aka bit by the spider. Sounds kind of like Avram. That's kind of why I picked him. But uh, then he screws up. And most of you are probably familiar with this scene from Spider-Man, or you've at least heard the phrase that comes out of this. He messes up, he makes a poor moral choice, and because of that, his uncle gets killed. Right? following with me. And, but out of this, he gets this gem of a phrase of with great power comes great responsibility. And he learns that he needs to set aside his self and just do the right thing because he has been put in this position. Mm. So because he screws up, because Spider-Man fails, he learns something that causes him to grow. Because of Rom goes into Egypt, I wonder if he learns that maybe he should trust God a little bit more. 
Maybe this causes his trust, his faith in God to grow a little. And mm, he's not done growing. Like we still have a long way to go. Because Avram moves from this, this character of just being Avram to eventually he becomes Abraham, this giant of the faith, the father of the nation of Israel. Like that sounds like, oh man, he's got it all figured out. But he starts off here, just a guy who God calls. See, we love to see this kind of progression in a hero. It really resonates in our soul. This is the hero's journey in a lot of ways. Imperfect people that go for it and then they fail and they get back up again. We love an underdog story, right? Remember the Titans, every sports movie ever made, Bend It Like Beckham. I don't actually know if that, yeah, no, I think that one follows it too. I mean, you're gonna be hard pressed to find a movie that doesn't follow this progression. We love it, we love it. And what I see here in Abraham is someone who isn't perfect. He does some really right stuff. Takes, you know, he does a great job with taking on Sarai and loving her well. He doesn't subtly erect some altars to God. He's really killing it. But then he trips and he stumbles here. He hits this rough patch. He messes up. We learn that Avram doesn't have everything figured out and he's going to need some polishing to get to where God wants him to be. But God doesn't give up on him because this story continues. Eventually he grows into that giant of the faith. Now we might love to see this in the story of our hero, but the question for you is, are you okay with living that out? And that's an uncomfortable question for me. I know I don't like to. That's tough. To embrace the fact that I might fail. Most of us are not in, we're just not great at embracing that aspect of life. In a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I think that's probably why we like those stories is because we can put ourselves into them, but it's from the safety of not actually having to do it. I don't know. We don't like this because growth is uncomfortable. I don't know about you. Maybe you've experienced growth that wasn't uncomfortable, but there's a reason we use the term growing pains. Literally growing is painful and uncomfortable. Um, but growing in your character in your maturity is also uncomfortable. It's hard situations. No one likes to be a freshman either. So once we've reached that top dog spot, once we've reached a place where I can be like, hmm, I'm comfortable here. No one wants to move on to the next thing because now suddenly I've put more weight on the rack and it's hard again. And it's difficult and it's painful and I might not be able to do it. <clears throat> so what's the implication here for us? I would say the implication is that the partner God pursues is roughly right. Now, some of you that have been around might notice roughly right is one of our core values. It's, I, I'm not sure, it's tied with vulnerability and authenticity. 
<clears throat> as my least favorite, um, AKA the ones that are the hardest for me. These are difficult. I do not like them. I'm not sure which one is more difficult because I like to win at things. I don't like to fail. I want to get things right. So let's talk a little bit about what roughly right is. Okay. Roughly right is permission to try. It's permission to try things. It's permission to go for it. To be not afraid to try. Which, there's probably two factions of people that I'm speaking to. Some of us are terrified of this because trying things is scary. And some of us, maybe that's not so scary. And you're like, whoa, 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 good for you. No, I'm kidding. No, really good for you. But for some of us, that's terrifying. And tied into that, roughly right is permission to fail. Because if we're going to have permission to try something, to take a shot, to go for it, to try to play the notes, to try to remember how to sing the bridge of a song. I don't know if any of you caught it. I, I definitely sang the bridge on Come As You Are roughly right today. I've sung that song a billion times. It was comfortable and I still managed to roughly write it. Don't know what happened. I might or might not be playing that back in my head and beating myself up over it. I'm going to try to let that go. Growth. It's not comfortable. <clears throat> the Lord gave me a beautiful, beautiful example to use in this sermon. Thanks God. It's fine. <laughs> but not being afraid to fail. Because if you're afraid to fail, then you're going to be afraid to try. And if you're afraid to fail and you're afraid to try, then you're also going to be afraid to dream, which being roughly right, being a community of people that are going to live out this core value, being okay with people being roughly right, means that we allow people to dream and to come up with ways to take big old swings for God's kingdom say that's crazy and there is no way that we could possibly put on generosity feeds and feed that many children. There's no way that's going to happen. This is definitely probably going to fail. But we did it. Because we were okay with the possibility that maybe we can't pull this off, but we're going to give it a go. And I think in that moment, God can, I think God probably gets a little giddy. When he sees somebody who's willing to take a step to move out of that land of Haran where they were comfortable and had settled to move out of that land because he called him to take a chance. That's what roughly right is. Let's, let's take a moment though. What roughly right is not roughly right is not an excuse for a subpar effort or to be a sloth, to be lazy. That's not what roughly right is. It's, it's, I, I mess this up every once in a while. I was talking with Rob earlier and I said, it's not an excuse for a subpar performance. That's not correct. It's not an excuse for a subpar effort, which is not the same thing. It's not saying, oh, well, that's good enough. It's being okay with once you've done your best, that's good enough. 
and you don't have to do any more than that. It's not an excuse for false humility or to put on a facade, right? Roughly right is so easy to hide behind for false humility, to take our pride and be like, I'm going to set the bar so low. Oh man, this is me in school. I'm going to set the bar so low that I can just like roll over it in an inert fashion and not try at all, right? And everyone's going to think, oh, look at Logan. He did so well. But really it's just false humility. It's me wanting to soak up the compliments, right? Because humility looks good. That's not what roughly right is. Roughly right is permission to try, permission to fail, and permission to dream. So what is like, that's still kind of up here, right? This is a concept that we're thinking about and you should wrestle with this concept in your care group this week. <clears throat> What's that? You're not in a care group? Well, email us at mission, uh, info at missionridge.church. We'll help you find one. Because talking about this and wrestling through how roughly right is difficult to walk out for different people and seeing how it's like, I, I talked with Josh about this and we, we talked about this in care group a little bit last week, actually, I think if I remember correctly, but I, I don't really remember if it was last week or 20 weeks ago, but we were talking about this and, and we kind of come at it from two different angles and me understanding how he is walking this out and struggling with this and wrestling with this helps me understand how I am wrestling with this. The stuff is, mm, you got to be in a community to talk about this stuff. Talk with people about this. Wrestle through how you live this out. But let's bring this straight down and make it really tangible today. That's why our call to action today is to take that next step that God is calling you to make. <clears throat> if God wants to partner with someone who's roughly right, and you want to be someone that God wants to partner with, and you're going to walk this out, then that probably means that there's something that God is calling you to do. And maybe you won't do it perfectly. Maybe it'll be hard. Maybe it'll be uncomfortable and it'll need some growth. It's going to cause some growth. Maybe that's the case. Maybe, maybe your next step is, is getting plugged into a care group. Maybe community scary, but you know you need it. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's uh, tithing, being generous with what God has given you, being faithful in that. Maybe God's putting that in your heart. Take the next step. Maybe it's discipling that friend of yours or, or building connections with your neighbors so that you can minister to them in this time where it's really important that we're looking after each other. Maybe God's putting that on your heart. Take the next step. Reach out to them. Maybe it's actually reading your Bible. Saying like, ah, oh, you know, I need to develop some of these disciplines and they are not comfortable and I'm going to do it though. And I'm going to screw up and I'm going to miss days and I'm not going to read my Bible and then I'm going to feel bad. But you know what? I'm going to get back on the horse because God's okay with me being roughly right. As long as I'm just doing my best here. Maybe it's developing accountability to avoid things. Maybe you got an Egypt that, oh man, that looks good. But you know you shouldn't go there. 
Maybe it's developing those, a brother or a sister that can keep you away from that, that you can lean on. But that's scary. That is terrifying to ask those people. It's okay. Take the next step that God is calling you towards. Maybe it's giving your life to Christ. If that's you today, I encourage you, reach out, talk to somebody, talk to one of us, drop a comment, send us a message. We'd love to talk with you about that. If that's the next step that God's putting on your heart, take the next step. It'll be okay. You don't have to be perfect. You just got to do, you just got to go for it. The Shia LaBeouf, just do it, right? Maybe your next step's getting baptized. I don't know. We can go, I could literally do these all day. There's so many next steps because there's so many of you. But I think this, I think you probably know what God has put on your heart. And if you don't, then your next step might be praying about, God, what do I need to do? Where, where, where would you have me go? I'm settled and I'm comfortable, or maybe I'm not comfortable, but I'm, I'm not where I want to be. Maybe it's asking God where you need to go. Take the next step. It's okay because we're a community that is okay with being roughly right. Because that's the type of person that I see when I look at the story of Abram. I see a character that is roughly right. And that roughly right character is someone who God works with over time and grows into a giant of the faith. And if Abram can do it, if God can do that with him, what can he do with you? You should pray with me. God, we thank you today that we could hear from your word, that we could gather distanced, so cool that you've blessed us with the technology to do this. That no virus is going to keep us down. Your community can still gather and grow and flourish in this. God, as we look for ways to partner with you, as we look for ways that we can become someone that you would have us partner, you would have us as a partner. God, help lead our steps in this. Help give us courage to swing for the fences, to not be afraid to fail, to know that even if we screw up, you've got us here. And because of that, we need to just keep moving forward. Help us to see those opportunities. Help us to see those people. Help give us courage in this. We love you. We thank you in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.
Can we actually just put Rob, can we get Rob right up here? Just to the side of me and I can just turn and talk to him every once in a while? Is that, can he be the peanut? Like Stephen Furtick uses this every once in a while. He'll put people up on stage like, uh, perfect. This is the look we need, right? Yes. Yes. Are, are you on splash screen or is this an Easter egg? 